0: Hey, this is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. Today is one of the most important days in the Christian calendar. And I would have to say this, because I am a believer, that it's one of the most important days ever. It is one of the most important days in human life. History. You're going to hear me say this about a billion times today. The resurrection changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. So um, we're going to be starting out this week on a three-week sermon series called "This Is Love." This is love, and um, we're gonna the first week here. We're going to be tackling this concept of love that forgives. Our sin. We're going to be tackling all that stuff. But the big idea for today's message is this. The resurrection, I think I said it already, changes everything. Changes everything. Because of the resurrection, we know what the cross was all about. Because of Easter, we understand the meaning of Good Friday. Without Easter, Good Friday is kind of a waste. Think about it. Without without Easter, Good Friday is a tragic mistake. But because of Easter, we understand it was not at all. Okay? At the cross, Jesus died in our place for our sins. Jesus entered into our pain and our shame. We're going to talk a lot about shame today. Jesus came and took the weight of evil itself so that its power could be broken in the lives of individuals. And because Jesus did not stay in the grave, we see that death has no victory. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God, in his love, freeing us from sin. It's God, in his love, overcoming death. And it's God in his love announcing that one day, new creation will come. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the love of God. When we look at Jesus, we can say, this is love. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to be together today to to commemorate this amazing point in history where everything changed. Lord, I thank you that for some reason, you saw fit to redeem me. And so often I feel so unworthy of that redemption. But as we're going to find out today, shame only separates. You are constantly chasing after us, to restore us to full humanity. And Lord, we thank you for that opportunity we have to recognize that today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we're going to start this series, and I want to talk about how God in his love is freeing us from sin. Now, sin is not a popular word. Nobody is, like, excited to talk about sin. Why do, we talk, why, do we, why do we have such a hard time talking about sin? Because I'll tell you right now. Because sin in us creates shame. And nobody likes that. We're going to get into that today. I'm excited about it. Sin is actually a, sometimes a confusing word. What is sin? Where does sin come from? How do I sin? What's a sin? What's not a sin? All these types of things. So I'm going to get, break it down for you a little bit here. You know how kids can sometimes make a mess? Your kids don't do that? I mean, yeah, right? Kids, she's like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no comment over there. But kids, kids can sometimes make a mess. And you know what happens? Sometimes kids will make a mess or they'll break something or they'll do something wrong. And they'll, instead of asking for help because they did something wrong, they'll try to fix it themselves. Like the child who writes on the wall with permanent marker. And they know, the instant they step back, that, oh, that looks pretty, but I'm in big trouble. So what do they do? Instead of getting mom or dad, mom and dad would probably not be happy about that, but they would help them, right? They would figure it out together. They go and grab a bottle of bleach. And instead of cleaning the marker off the wall, they've now taken the paint off the wall. The floor is bleached. The carpet is destroyed. And it's going to cost hundreds or thousands of dollars to fix because they didn't ask for help. Their shame kept them from engaging with the person who could help them and keep it from escalating. That's kind of how how sin is. We do this as adults. We don't want to ask God for help. We want to try it on our own. We want to take measures into our own hands. And when a mess ensues, we resist asking for help again. This time because we're embarrassed and ashamed. This is how we, this is how we roll as human beings. Shame actually drives a wedge. Because of sin... Shame drives a wedge between our relationship with God. What happened in the very first sin? Adam and Eve sinned, and what happened? They hid themselves. That shame of knowing what they had done wrong moved them away from God. And they actually tried to make coverings for themselves because they felt exposed. Right? Right? So that's what shame, that's what sin does. It causes shame that brings separation. Asking for help to resolve a mess we've made means admitting our faults. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm awesome at admitting my faults. I'm awesome at it. It's so easy. Oh, well, I'm wrong again. How, how many uh, people in here are not so good at admitting that you're wrong when you're wrong, okay? I was being facetious, okay? (laughs) We all have that struggle, some more than others, but we do. We don't want to admit our guilt. Guilt is uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable feeling. And sorry is an uncomfortable word. We rather deny it, ignore it, recover on our own, or even justify our actions. Owning up is painful. And yet, that feeling of shame won't go away. The feeling that we've fallen short, that we've failed, eats away at us. It's uncomfortable. It's always there. It's like a monkey on your back. Our culture doesn't really have a word for this. Think about it. Our culture really doesn't have a word for this feeling, this unresolvedness. We tend to psychoanalyze our shortcomings so that they can be recast or reduced or the result of somebody else's problems. It's not my fault. I'm just a product of my bad parents. My parents, they didn't give me enough stuff. That's why I am the way I am. If they had just given me more stuff, I, I'm amazed. I'm going to go off on a soapbox here. I'm amazed at how many kids in my son's class—he's in—is he sixth grade now? Yeah, something like that. I lost track. In his class are like sporting like the latest iPhones. I'm like, what? Like I, 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 I didn't even. I mean, what? I mean, do you know that this particular item has more computing power than what they landed the shuttle, I mean, the, 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 uh, on the moon? This has more computing power than the NASA had when they landed on the moon. And I don't really know what my sixth grader would do with that. That makes me a little nervous. He's like, Dad, when am I going to get a phone? I said, I don't know. When are you going to buy a phone? <laughs> you want a phone? Start saving, pal. Maybe it's because we didn't get, them. maybe it's, maybe our problem is that we didn't have enough computing power. Or, or maybe it could be our community was bad. We could blame it on community. Or the poor education we received. If I had just, you know, gone to Harvard, there's no way this guy gets into Harvard. I'm just telling you right now, okay? Maybe it's the, we, we, we like to shift the blame, Right? Maybe it was, the system failed us. Don't you love when people say things like that? The system failed me. What the heck is the system? It's so generic, isn't it? The system failed me. And these things surely do contribute. I'm not minimizing these things. People have had bad relationships with their parents. They've had bad education. I'm not minimizing. But I'm saying that your sin is not somebody else's fault. They may contribute to that. Human systems do fail. Why? Because broken humans make the human systems. So it's not like better, it's actually worse. You got a whole bunch of broken people making a system and then they think that that's going to work out better. Yeah, good luck with that. See, it doesn't erase the problem when you shift the blame. It actually expands it. It isn't just individuals who have failed. It's entire communities and systems because they are made up of people. And still, what is the word for that when everything fails? What is the word for failure? The Bible, you can only find it in theology. There's only a word for it. You can't find it in in the world. You can only find it in one place. And it's a word. It's a three-letter word. S-I-N. Sin. Sin. Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well pastor, I only did like little sins. What does it take to fall short of the glory of God? Either you are equal on par with the glory of God. And if you are that person, I'd like to talk to you after church. I have a feeling I'm not going to get too many conversations along that front because n- Either you're on par with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or you have fallen short, and that is what we call sin. And sin separates us from God, period. I mean, think about it. They ate a fruit. A fruit that they were told they weren't supposed to. So they didn't measure up to the glory of God. That's enough to separate us from God. Sin. So I only do little sins. Good for you. So you only eternally be a little bit separated from God. I mean, what? All right, you big. I only did one big sin. All right, sin is sin, and it's that, it's that it's that not measuring up thing. So sin is a sense of missing the mark or falling to failing to be what God created us to be. It is falling short of our original vocation. And what is that original vocation? Our first calling is to be God's image bearers who reflects God's wisdom and love and rule into the world. Sin is also rebellion, a turning away from God, a decision to move against him or be independent from him. Sin is a transgression, a crossing a line or boundary, a violation of another person. And ultimately, sin is a power. Sin is a power. Let me explain that. It is sin with a capital S that holds us captive and paralyzes us with shame. Sin keeps you back. Sin keeps you down. Take all of it together and you realize that sin is is a dead end. It's a big fat game over. So, what do we do now? Thank you, Pastor, for all that uplifting talk. <laughs> Have a great Easter. See you guys later. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Remember what I said at the beginning? The very first thing I said is that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. There was a follower of Jesus who had fallen short in a spectacular way. In fact, his failure was, not, uh, was so dramatic and so epic, it should, have been, it should have ended there. It really should have ended there. His name was Peter. Peter. Simon Peter. The Rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. The first rock, Peter. He wasn't just one of Jesus' followers, he was one of Jesus' closest friends and confidants. Jesus had 12 disciples, and often he would take the 12 off somewhere, and then he would leave a group and he would take a specific three a little bit farther. Peter was one of those three, he was the inner circle. But his sin wasn't just crossing the line, or a minor departure, or coming up a bit short. His sin was a flat-out denial of Jesus. Three times. Flat-out denial. And that passage of Scripture is so epic, and so, like, haunting. Because Jesus is going through this trial, right? Jesus is going through this trial... uh, um, and they're accusing him, they're bringing people in, and they're lying about him. They're, um, at one point, he uh, says something that identifies himself with being God, and they start beating him. All the while, Peter's out in the courtyard, and he's defending himself against like, little servant girls and people, and they're saying, you were with him. He's like, no, I don't even know him. You were with him. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I know you were with him, you were a Galilean. He's like, I swear, I don't even know who this man is. And then the rooster crowed in the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. And this is the haunting part. In the midst of all of that hullabaloo that's going on, Jesus, the scriptures say Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And that look broke Peter. It said he went out and he wept bitterly. For Peter, it was done. He was disqualified. He was unworthy. He was done. And even, even after Jesus' resurrection, I don't think Peter was super thrilled. Not that Jesus was back, but that for him it meant nothing. Because he had been disqualified. We'll go into that right now. How's that? When they heard the news that Jesus was alive, Peter and John ran to the empty tomb. John got there first, and Peter followed, but Jesus was not there. You know that story called Easter? This is what we're talking about. Later on, Jesus appeared to Mary, calling her by name. Then Jesus appeared to the disciples, passing through locked doors. Okay, so Jesus was alive, but he wasn't the same. Because the resurrection changed everything. (laughs) You're going to hear me say that a lot today. If you you go away, the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. Then I've done my job. Okay, Uh, But Jesus was the same, but he was different. Walking through the whole deal. As if that weren't enough, Jesus shows the nail scars in his hands and his feet and the wound in his side. Now, More on this encounter later. So just like put a bookmark in that, because we're going to come back to that. Okay? Um, and And that's in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. But in chapter 21, Peter makes a profound statement. 21 verse 3, he says, Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. Jesus just walked through a wall, presented himself to his disciples, and Peter's like, I'm going fishing. And they're like, we'll go with you. They set out on a boat, but throughout the night they caught nothing. Sounds familiar if you know your Bible. There's a very similar (laughs) encounter with Jesus later, uh, earlier, I should say. So what must Peter have been feeling? Jesus just showed up, proved he is is the risen Christ, and Peter's going fishing. What is he feeling? Maybe Jesus is alive, but that only makes things worse for me, doesn't it? I know that I shouldn't have denied him, but I did, and he knows I did. How can I ever truly face him? See, the shame of Peter's sin is developing separation between Jesus and Peter. How could Peter recover from this? Peter was supposed to be the leader, the rock. This dude walked on water. Only one of two people in all of human history to accomplish that feat. He had confessed That Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, by which Jesus replies, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. He had a revelation, and now he's fishing again. And he denied Jesus. You see, this is what shame does. Ready? Shame isolates us. It sets us back to a time before. It says that our sins are uniquely disqualifying. Your shame antagonizes you by saying your sin is uniquely disqualifying. That no one else has ever done anything quite like that before. Yeah, right. You're the one person who can't be forgiven. We've done the one thing that can't be set right. We've gone past the point of return. We've fallen too far. And that's what sin does. It causes shame that separates. Shame tells us it's game over, the end. And in a sense, it's true. Sin is a dead end. I don't want to minimize that. Sin is a dead end. Or as the Bible puts it this way, the wages of sin is death. Shame, the kind that comes from actual guilt, is not a liar. Shame is actually a thing that helps us. You know, like, um, one of the things I, I, uh, we said that to my kids the other day, we were like, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Think about it. If you had one superpower, and one of my kids said, I like to fly. Other one's like, I like to be invisible. I'm like, you're creeping me out. And I want to say, I would like to feel no pain. And I'm thinking, that's really a bad superpower. Because unless, unless you're Superman and impervious to injury, pain is your friend. Right? Think about it. Because if, you if you're not impervious to injury and you have no pain, the, the supervillain is going to lop your arm off and you're not even going to be able to know it. Like, you know. Pain is actually... Pain sensors in your body are actually there to help you, to keep you safe, to allow you to have a mental uh, process that says, I'll that hurt, I don't want to do that again. So pain is actually your friend. Same thing as shame in, in, this, in, in, in some context. It helps you to say, this doesn't feel good. But what we do is we don't deal with the shame. We pass that shame off, and we never get healed. We never make those mental connections of, yeah. We never go to the Father and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, cleanse me. So that shame goes away, and then we build those mental connections. I'm not going to do that again. We always pass the buck, and we're constantly dealing with with the hurt of it. Okay, So it's not a liar. Shame is not a liar. It's just, think about this, it's just an incomplete narrative. It tells us the story as it stands without Christ. Jesus showed up that day in the middle of Peter's shame. It's incomplete. So when that guilt and that shame and that feeling comes in because of, of sin, you have to complete the narrative or it will own you. Because I'm telling you right now, and you may have heard this before, but the resurrection changed everything. We're no longer having to stay at that point of sin bringing death because the resurrection brings new life, not just a clever church name. John 21, when daybreak came, Jesus stood at the shores, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends! Jesus called to them. You, didn't have, uh, you don't have any fish, do you? I love that. He's like, he knew already. No, they answered. They cast your nets on the right side of the boat, he told them. And you'll, find, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John, by the way, it's the Lord. When Peter heard that, it was the Lord he tied his outer clothing around him for he had taken it off and plunged himself into the sea. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but like fishermen who fished at night, they typically fished like naked. Just the way it was, okay? Or, so it, you have this Adam and Eve type feeling here where he feels exposed. And the first time this happened, he said, Teacher, leave me, get away from me, because I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, you know what? I know that. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. This time, Jesus is reenacting the same play. And Peter, once again, feels that shame, but he goes to Jesus instead of asking Jesus to go away. I like that. I like that. What I love about this moment is that Jesus meets Peter where he's at. Peter tries to retreat to his old, familiar place, his comfort zone, and Jesus meets him there. Jesus didn't just meet Peter there. Jesus reenacts the scene of Peter's first calling. What does that mean? It means to Peter, this is still your calling. Things haven't changed so much. You just have a problem with sin. But I'm telling you right now, because I rose, things are different now. And that that shame doesn't have to define you. It was like he was taking Peter back to the start, back to where it all began. But something is radically different this time, now that the resurrection has occurred. Because the resurrection changes. And it changed the way Jesus even called Peter. When Jesus first called Peter, it was about the purpose. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of man. This second time, it was about a person. He said this, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, I love you. Of course I do, Lord. Why would he ask him that? I have a a feeling it's because... When Jesus broke into that locked room, Peter didn't respond very good. All the disciples are like, woo, Jesus is back, and Peter's like, yay, what does that mean for me? You know? So he has, and, and that would be that would be okay. Jesus didn't have to pursue Peter, but he made a point of going after. Peter as an individual and dealing with Peter's individual sin. I love it. That makes me think that Jesus is not just about the church. He's about Rebecca. He's about Jason. You sit in the front row, you get picked on. He's about the individual. He's about you. He loves you. And he wants to help you through your guilt and your shame and your Sin, Because that's why he came. That's why he died. And that's why he rose. He asked Jesus, he asked Peter three times. Do you love me? What does that coincide with? Didn't Peter deny Jesus three times? When we were treating shame, Jesus comes after us again and again and again. His love will never stop chasing you. You can deny it for your whole existence. But because of the resurrection, his love will never, to your dying breath, stop chasing you. His love will never let go of you. His love can change What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for us. In fact, before he found Peter and spoke to him, he had appeared to the disciples. Let's go back to to chapter 20, okay? We just just talked about chapter 21. Let's go back to chapter 20. They were locked room, afraid and confused, wondering if Jesus was really alive or not. And if so, what does that mean? So John writes this, John 20. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared, the Jew, uh, they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, why do you say peace be with you? I think two reasons. One, they were probably freaked out that somebody's in the room with a door, locked door. <gasps> They're probably freaking out right now. He's like, Oh, peace be with you. Relax, it's okay. I also think the twofold thing is that peace can now be with them. The actual peace is, there, is offered to them because of the resurrection. I love it. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now I'm wondering if that was all of them. Now I'm sure Peter was happy that Jesus was not dead, but I can only picture Peter be like, yeah, Oh, man. He looked right at me. There's no denying it. He knows what I did. And that's the case with all of us, guys. There's no point in hiding sin from an all knowing God. Just ask for the help. Don't make it worse by using the bleach. Ask, go to him. He already knows. He already knows. But I don't know how Peter felt. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Maybe he was talking to Peter at that point. I don't know. He said it twice, and he's like, everybody's happy. Peter, come on, man. Peace, right? Come on. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now listen to this. This is crazy stuff here. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He Breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter's response to that action is, I'm going fishing. The very next chapter. There's no big sermon. There's no big conversion at this point. There's no, he's like, I'm going fishing. What Jesus provided, he was unable to receive. Because that shame had created a wedge, had broken that relationship. What Jesus was giving out wholesale, Peter's like, I don't think it's for me. I think I'm going fishing. Mm -hmm. See, just because the resurrection happened doesn't mean it happened in you. Just because the Holy Spirit has been poured out doesn't mean you've received it. I'm just saying, folks. And Peter was one of the inner circle, I'm talking not just to people who've never understood this relationship with Jesus, who've never become a Christian before. I'm talking to believers here, folks. How has your sin driven a wedge between you and your Lord? Just because Jesus provides things don't mean we receive them unless we do. And it took Jesus personalizing, going after Peter in a personal way, for him to receive what Jesus wanted to provide. The risen Jesus breathes new life, the life of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead into his followers. He announces that true peace is theirs. No more fear, no more shame, no more guilt. Peace. The true and deep sense of being put back together again, of being set right, set right with God and with others. And then Jesus sends them out into the world. This peace is not just for them. This new life is not just for a select few. The good news is good news for the world. So, it took Peter some time It took Jesus pursuing him where he was at for him to receive all that Jesus provided in the resurrection and in the outpouring of the Spirit. But once Peter receives, once Peter is restored, once Peter understands that his failures are not bigger than God's redemption, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, full of the Spirit, proclaims with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many, many people got saved that day. It's, it's, it's an exciting thing. When we receive what God, what Jesus already provided, everything changes. He heals, he restores. Because of the resurrection, sin it, um, can be forgiven. You don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus offers that. Think of it. Our sins, our missing the mark, our failing, falling short, our transgressing and crossing the line are forgiven because Jesus died and rose again. And the power of sin that keeps us bound, that paralyzes us, that holds us in the same pattern of failure over and over and over again is broken because of Jesus. To be forgiven is to be free free from guilt, free from shame, free from the power that has enslaved us. And think about this free to be fully human. What? Pastor? You- Shouldn't we be better than that? Why? God made you human. Isn't that good enough for you? But he made you human, and he wants you to be fully human. What does that mean? Reflecting the image of God into this world, showing his power and his forgiveness and his love. Being fully human is embracing our identity in Christ. Peter's life changed that day. He went on to lead the start of a movement that we would later call the church. The leader of it, this guy who went fishing because he wasn't good enough, because he was full of shame, started the church. He preached boldly and suffered greatly. But, he didn't, but, but that suffering didn't stop him because he, he loved. Jesus, Jesus called him and said, do you love me? He said, absolutely. He was willing to go the distance. He shepherded a flock of believers and taught them what it means to be forgiven and free. A deep love for Jesus anchored him through even the most difficult of days. And it all began that day that Jesus found him on the shore of his own shame. And restored him. If Jesus had just died, there would have been no hope for Peter. But because Jesus broke down the gates of hell and destroyed the power of death and sin... Peter goes on to do all that he did. The resurrection changes everything. Our lives can change today. Maybe you're on the shore of your own shame. Maybe you're not being fully what God has called you to be. Maybe you're not living that way. The whole trajectory of your life can change today like it did for Peter. Maybe your thought was, it's a game over, I'm done. That you've hit the dead end and because of mistakes you've made or the destructive habits you've incorporated into your life have disqualified you. Maybe you have walked with the Lord but have reverted back to the old habits and old sins. Maybe you've Gone back to fishing. Jesus is pursuing you today. He wants to remove the stain of sin and shame and forgive you, heal you, and restore you. That's what we call good news. It ain't over. It's good news. That's the gospel. It's good news. Because of the resurrection, Jesus can invade our space and change things. You don't have to live like that anymore. I'm I am I'm talking to listen, I'm talking to Christians right now. Because I have known so many pathetically miserable Christians. They're not happy, they're not living in victory. They they think the whole world is against them. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm talking to us today. We have got to get close. Jesus is asking you, and if he has to ask you three or 300 times, do you love me? I want you to answer the question, because if you answer the question in the affirmative, he can change the way you look at everything. good news it's not over because Jesus carried our sins upon himself on the cross why would he do that? because he loves you because God raised Jesus from the dead in victory over sin and death it is not over sin is not the end anymore the Scripture tell us that because God proved his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, while we were stuck in our sin, while we were caught in that trap, Jesus came and died for us. Before we knew how to call his name, God came running after us. God came running after you. And he wants to meet you on the shore of your own shame and tell you, things are going to change. With me, things are going to change. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's not like it was before. Something is different, and that difference is that Jesus did the work on our behalf. Today is your day. This is love, and it changes. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know where you're at today, but I don't think there's any better day to get healing than on the day that Jesus conquered sin and death. Maybe you've been following the Lord for a long time, but you're not living in victory Maybe you're, you've been following the Lord, and you've been trying to, I don't know, f- be better on your own, you know? Maybe you've been trying to, like, live up to the standard of, of what the Bible t- says, but you're denying the power of the Holy Spirit to actually help you do it. Maybe you need to go to your father today and say, I've messed up, I've made a mess, and I need some help to clean it up. And he's going to be like, yes, and amen. That's what I came for. If that's you today, I'd ask you to just lift your hand. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm, I'm living on the shores of my own shame today. I'm having a hard time. I need help. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, those people who raise their hand, this is not some kind of like self-help garbage. This is the God of the universe, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. He wants to invade your space. He wants to embrace you. He loves you, and that's why he came, and he will empower you. He will help you, and he will heal you. You can walk in victory today. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that so many people responded right now, knowing that they need your help that they have fallen short, that their lives are not measuring up and they don't know how to fix it on their own. So they're saying, God, help me. I need you. I love you. If you were to ask them the question that you asked Peter on that shore, do you love me? They would say, yes, I love you. But I'm drowning in my own shame. Lord, I pray today that you would lift their shame, you would lift their doubt, and you would lift the burden of sin on their hearts, and you would give them a skip in their step and a new life from this day forward. Lord, help them. When the the time comes for them to struggle with that shame again, I pray that they wouldn't try to fix it themselves, but they would go immediately to you and ask for your forgiveness and your help. Shame separates, love connects. So I thank you for all those people this morning, my brothers, my sisters, who've acknowledged that they, they want to start fresh today. Thank you, Jesus. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you, maybe today, maybe you're online, and you have heard this message and it sparked something in you that you've never really had before, and you, you're saying to yourself, I- I've never made a decision for Christ. I have never... Uh, ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. And I am on the outside. Just because Jesus provided it for me doesn't mean that I've ever received it, and I want to receive that today. And you're saying, yeah, I want to, I want to be, I want to live the way you're, you're talking today, Pastor. If that's you, I would ask you right now, just lift your hand. I want to pray with you. What better way, what better day to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior than Easter Sunday? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for me, for proving how much you love me by shedding your own blood and letting people nail you to a cross. But that was not the end. You rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life, and I receive that today. I receive what you provided Lord, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord from this day forward. I love you. I love you. I love you. In Jesus' name.